Good morning, everybody. My name is Michael, like Impele said, and I am one of the pastors in the life of the church. Together with my beautiful wife, Crystal, we have the pleasure of leading the 5 p.m. congregation together with Mark and Candice. And this morning, I have the absolute privilege of preaching. But if you maybe come for the first time today or you've uh, missed the last couple of weeks, we are in our series called The Good News for the Weary Soul. And we've been looking at the good news of the gospel and what that means for us as believers. The first week, we learned about justification. And it's a big word, but what it means is that we have been justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. That when God looks at us, the perspective he has is that we have been declared fully righteous because of what God did for you on the cross. I don't know about you, but that is good news. Then last week, we heard from Gabe an amazing preach. I would encourage you to go listen to it on our YouTube. But we heard that we have been redeemed, that we have redemption. We are no longer slaves to sin and slaves to our old way of living, but we have been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that is good news. And this morning, we're going to look at this concept of propitiation. Yes, it's a big word. It's not just a word that pastors slip in to look fancy and intellectual, but it is an amazing word, and what I believe is actually the essence of the gospel narrative. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get stuck in. Jesus, I pray that this morning that we will see the splendor of the cross. Will you show us the measure of your grace? Because we are your children. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. See, we can't understand this concept of propitiation, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but without understanding our guilt in our story. But I want to ask you this question, is have you ever felt guilty for something that you've done? Maybe you don't need to shout it out, and we don't need to know what you did, but have you ever felt guilty for something that you did? If anyone found out about that, there would be serious consequences. This brings me back to a story about when I was five years old, and it's the incident involving a very expensive lamp. And what happened was, as I was playing, I was left alone for some reason. I think my mom just quickly popped out to the shops, and I was playing in the living room, and I was uh, chasing the cat around the lounge. I do not know why, but I was doing that. And as any well-behaved, well-mannered, innocent young boy would do, I knew that I could not touch that very expensive lamp that was handmade, that was made out of glass, that was crafted, that my mother dearly loved. But while I was chasing this cat around the lounge like a scene out of Tom and Jerry, what happened was that my uncoordinated, my ungraceful legs and arms, which are still there today, careened into the side table, and I just saw this lamp hurtling towards the floor and smashing in an instant. And at my five-year-old brain, started to do some maths and started to do some calculations as to what I was going to say, how I was going to get out of the situation, what my mother would do when she came through the front door, would I be in trouble, what would my punishment be? I remember being overcome with a sense of guilt for what I had done because I knew that my mother dearly loved this thing. And so again, I did what any well-mannered, innocent, well-behaved, angelic young boy would do As soon as she came through that door, I ran up to her and I confessed. I said, Mom, I confess. The cat did it. (laughs) 
Now she saw through that in an instant. She saw through my guilt. She saw through my shame. But I remember that feeling of guilt, and I know that all of us can relate to some sort of situation in our lives, that there's something that we did or maybe some situation that happened where we felt guilt, and we knew that if someone found out, there would be consequences. And this is the Bible story, is that actually there is good news in the person of Jesus Christ. But I need to tell you, before we get to the good news, is there is some bad news. The bad news is, the Bible says that fundamentally, we are all guilty. No matter your upbringing, your best efforts, your attempt to live a moral life, your charitable donations, or how many church services you have attended in your life, the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God, and He is holy and just, and we are not. See, compared to God, we are all wicked, and we are all unworthy of His glory, His Scripture says. And what that means is that, in essence, we are guilty. We are in the wrong. It's that simple. That is the bad news. So every person who has ever lived has broken God's law, has rebelled against God, has gone uh, in the opposite direction of His plan and His purpose for our lives, and that's the story of the gospel. There is bad news for us, unfortunately. We are guilty. But the bad news doesn't end there. There is also good news of the gospel. See, the good news is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, while being just and holy and needing to condemn sin, needing to condemn our wrongdoing, is also gracious and merciful. That is the good news about Jesus Christ. He offers complete forgiveness for all who trust in His name, for all who repent away from their old way of living and trust in the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And it is on offer for each and every one of us, not according to demographics, not according to social status, but for all who believe in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. He promises eternal blessing with Him in heaven. That is the good news of the gospel. We have been forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And we have been delivered from the power and the penalty of, this, of sin by the death of Jesus on the cross of Christ. That is the good news that follows the bad news. And that's his plan from the beginning. He always had a plan for the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel should still bring hope to your weary heart today. Do you believe in the good news? Do you trust in the good news? Do you live from that place of good news? Or do you live according to the report of the bad news of the world rather than trusting in the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ? See, there is good news for our, soul, our souls. And I want to ask you this. Do you believe that you need a savior? Do you believe that you need forgiving? Do you believe that you need eternity? It says this in Romans 23 to 25. And I want to ask you to turn to your Bibles. Take a moment. Get out your phones. Get out your Bibles. And maybe take notes. We want to grow together in this series. And this is so important for us. But we're going to turn to Romans 3. And it will be on the screen behind me. But it says this. And this is our anchor text for this morning. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be, here's that word, a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. First thing that we have to note here is that all have sinned. It doesn't say all who have driven through a red robot have sinned. No, all who support Liverpool have sinned. No, it doesn't say that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a single planet on this earth who has lived, is living, or will ever live who is without sin. And so what does God say is that we have fallen short of His glory because God is holy. He is set apart. There is none like Him. And He is also just. He has to punish the consequences of sin. And so because He is holy, because He is just, He demands punishment for our sin. And this is bad news. But on the other hand, God is also gracious and He is also merciful and He is eager to forgive us of our sins. And that's the good news of the gospel. We need to understand that we are sinners. We are sinners against God. We have rebelled against Him almost at every turn in the narrative. But He is eager to save us from our sin. He is eager to show us love. He is eager to show us grace. He is eager to show us mercy. This is not just a judge up there who wants to bring vengeance on humanity. No, this is a loving Father, but who also demands justice in our story. He is a good judge. We see in verse 25, Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. That word propitiation means this. It means to turn away the wrath of God, to satisfy His wrath by an atoning sacrifice. This is the essence of the gospel, that Jesus, a sacrifice for me, a sacrifice for you, turned away the wrath of God forevermore by a sacrifice through His blood. Now, I know this is an unpopular doctrine today, that we believe in the wrath of God. We sing songs about the love of God. We post Instagram pictures that God is love. But will we ever post a picture saying God is wrath? No. But the Bible says that there will be wrath for the sins of the world. There is punishment due and someone needs to pay the penalty of that punishment. And the only one who can fully satisfy the fullness of God's wrath is Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. He, come to be, he came to be a substitute for our sins, to die on the cross for you and me. And so we need to understand this wrath of God. We need to understand that God is angry at seeing His creation destroyed. He is angry at seeing His sons and daughters and the cost of sin in their lives and what sin has done to this world. He is angry. And it is true that God is a loving God, but I promise you that God also hates sin. See, God can hate sin and be a loving God because the final form of hate is actually indifference. If God was indifferent to our sin, He would not be a loving God. Imagine you had a friend who you dearly love, and you can see the consequences of their lifestyle. 
their addiction, their habits, and all they seem to be doing is trying to ruin their lives. You would be angry at them, not because you hate them, but because you love them. You don't want to see them ruin their lives, the gift that they have been given in God, and it is the same with God and His children. When He sees what sin has done in our lives, He is angry because He loves us so much. Because he wants you, because he chose you, because he made you. He needs to satisfy his wrath. Tim Keller says it brilliantly. Any God who is not angry at injustice is not worthy to be worshipped. The punishment for our sins, for God's wrath, is an eternal punishment. Sin separates us from God. There is a chasm between us and the steadfast love of God, and something needs to bridge that gap. And it can only be a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. In Isaiah 51, it says this, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. The reality is that if we are sinful, we deserve the wrath of God. That is the bad news. But the good news is that God always had a plan. He always had a plan for you and me, sir or ma'am. In Hebrew culture, what they would do to atone for the sins of the people is God commanded these things. He commanded that the high priest take two goats, and one would be called the Lord's sacrifice, and the other would be called the scapegoat. And what they would do is these goats would be without blemish. They would be the same. And they would first take the Lord's goat into the tent. And they would sacrifice the goat. And they would sprinkle the blood on what is called the mercy seat. And they would first pray over this goat. And they would pray for all of the sins of the people. That all of the sins and the punishment due for these sins would be taken upon this goat. And that only by the blood of the sacrifice would the people's sins be washed clean. And so they would sprinkle that on the mercy seat as a symbolism that God had forgiven his people. Then they would take the other goat and they would do the same. And they would place their hand, the priest would place his hands on the head of the goat. And he would pray that all the sins of the people would be placed on this goat. And the people would be forgiven. And they would tie a red cord around his horns. And then they would send this goat into the wilderness in order to die to be separated from God's people and God's presence. As a symbolism that sin was completely gone and they were washed clean in his sight. That's what they had to do time and time again to be made right in God's eyes. But the Bible teaches us that not once did that sacrifice fully satisfy the wrath of God. So what did God do? Is He had a better plan. He sent one who would satisfy His wrath. He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. And when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Father, if you are willing, take this cup, this cup of wrath from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus suffered on the cross so that we could be justified. Jesus suffered on the cross. He was a propitiation for us to fully satisfy the cup of wrath that we were due. And maybe you're asking, but how can this be so? 
How can one man suffer for a few hours on a cross and save the entirety of mankind? It isn't right. It doesn't make sense. And I will tell you that one man could suffer for a few hours on that tree and save men from eternity in hell because that one man was worth more than all those men put together. God wasn't a vengeful God just sending his son to die on the cross. No, God himself came down in human form and bore our sin, became our sin on that tree for our eternal blessing. That is the good news of the gospel. When we talk of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are talking of a sacrifice of infinite value because we need a sacrifice of infinite value because the punishment is an infinite hell. We need a sacrifice of infinite value. You and me need that sacrifice. And that physical suffering that Jesus bore on that cross pales into comparison of the suffering that he endured by experiencing the wrath of God for every sin, past, present, and future. Your brokenness, my filth, my shame, my addiction, all of these things he paid for on the cross. Think of your worst thing. Think of the worst thing you have ever committed and it was paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid out debt. The slate is wiped clean. So will we stop living like the rent is stored you? He paid it in full. His blood is perfect. And I can never begin to fully imagine what suffering he must endure on that cross. And while pre pre prepping this preach, I had to repent and go, Lord, I've sometimes lost the awe and wonder and the splendor of your sacrifice. And we need to live in response of this, that we have been purchased, we have been redeemed, we have been made new. We have been declared innocent in the eyes of the Lord and the wrath of God has been fully satisfied forevermore because of the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. This is the essence of the gospel, propitiation. Jesus is our advocate with the judge, with the father, who when the accuser comes into the courtroom and accuses of us of our sin, and it is true, we are sinners. When the accuser, Satan, comes into the courtroom and says that we are sinful, Christ steps in in our defense and says to the father and reminds him that we can never be held guilty because he has paid it in full. That's what propitiation means. God is a just judge. He is a loving father. And we have a perfect savior who has stepped in and substituted himself for our sin. That is hope for everyone. For everyone who believes through faith, saving faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, they will be redeemed and made new. That is the good news of the gospel. To illustrate this point, a few years ago there was a man and he was in a communist country. And he led a group of around 2,000 people to overthrow an evil dictator. And this, these 2,000 people trusted in this man. He was a good leader. He led with authority. He led with grace. He led with kindness. But he led his people. And one of the things to do here was that food was in short supply. He had to tend to the needs of his entire community. So food was in short supply, and what happened was that one day his lieutenant came to him and he said, William, someone has been stealing food. What should we do? 
And so William said this, is there needs to be a punishment for this act. There has to be justice. And so he said, anyone who is caught stealing food will be flogged. They will be taken into the public court and they will be whipped as a punishment for their act. And so two days later, his lieutenant came back to him and said, food has once again been stolen, but this time we caught the culprit. And so William said, who is it? Let's demand justice. And his lieutenant said, well, it's your elderly mother. She has been stealing food. And then William was left with a choice. What does he do in that moment? He wouldn't be a loving leader if he whipped his elderly mother because she would surely die. But he also wouldn't be a just leader if he let that punishment go unforgiven. And so his elderly mother was brought before the public court. And as the lieutenant was bringing down the whip, William tore off his shirt and he ran towards his mother and he covered her and he took the beating that was owed to her. And in an instant, he satisfied the justice that needed to be satisfied, but he also showed love and grace. And that is a picture of what God does for us. We are in the place of the mother and God is a perfect and wonderful judge and leader. God fully substituted himself on the cross for our sins. And so salvation is God substituting himself for you. That is the good news. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. It is through faith. Not religion, not your efforts, not moralism, not anything in this world, but through faith in his blood, which will set you free. Salvation is that. Do you have faith in his blood, sir or ma'am? I'm going to ask Sharon to come up with the keys now. But do you know that his blood has purchased you? That his blood has washed you white as snow? God is not a vengeful judge wishing punishment upon his creation. He is a God of judge, justice and he is a loving father. 1 John 4 verse 10 says this, Year in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It was the love of God that sent his son to die on the cross for us. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know how much he loves you? That he sent his son to die for you. It's that amazing lyric in that time old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that he would save a wretch like me. That is true love. Do you believe it? It's always been love. It was the love of God that sent Christ to be the propitiation. It was the love of God that showed you mercy and grace. And so we can have four responses to this word. And I want to say that the first three responses show us that we haven't fully grasped the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. And the first response we can have is one of indifference. The greatest danger to my own heart is that it becomes apathetic to the sacrifice of the cross. That it becomes dull and dim to what Jesus did for me. 
And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ should stir you. And if it didn't stir you this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray. Will you pray earnestly? Will you pray with a repentant heart? Will you pray asking God to light that fire inside of you once again to awaken you to the splendor of the cross? How good Jesus is. How good and perfect his blood is. How he has purchased you and redeemed you and made you innocent in the Father's eyes. Will your heart come awakened to that glory? Will you seek him this morning? Paul's indifference will cause us to lose sight of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Indifference will mean that we will never share this good news with anyone else. Indifference means that we will only live small lives with me and my personal Jesus, but never encounter the fullness of His grace and His kindness and His mercy in my life. The second response is one of fear and insecurity. That we can live like leaves tossed to and fro in the wind, not knowing whether we are loved or accepted by our Father in heaven because of what you did last night, last week, or last year. But He should bring security to you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should secure you. It should bring hope. And hope does not bring us to shame. We can hope in His perfect blood. And the third response is one of religion. Let go of the posture of religion. Let go of this posture of white knuckle Christianity where we just try and hold on as much as we can and we try and make our way to God by our own efforts and by our own capabilities and by doing the right things, by doing all of the Christian principles, by coming to church more, by singing more worship songs, by reading the Bible more. This is how we are going to make our way to God and make ourselves right in His eyes and that is religion. Religion is about how you make your way to God. Christianity is about how God made His way to you. This is the good news of the gospel. And so the fourth response that I believe that we should have as sons and daughters is this, is a response of faith. It is through faith in His blood that we are saved. Faith is what pleases God. Not fear, not insecurity, not religion, not indifference, but faith. The love of Christ constrains us because He died for all. And if He died for all, then we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for Him. Can I ask us to stand? I'm going to take that as a reminder of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that He is here. But I want us to know that, that He has purchased us. And so what response will you take to this perfect sacrifice? To the sacrifice of love and justice that fully satisfied the wrath of God? Do you know that this morning? 
if you have already made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, have you fully committed your life to Him, that He is your Lord and Savior, and do you walk from that place of knowing that He has purchased you, from that place of security and hope? And so my call this morning is this as I end off. And I'm going to ask the band to lead us in the song of worship, No Longer a Slave, and we are going to sing in response to Him with hearts repentant, with hearts hopeful, with hearts set on Him, with hearts knowing that He bought us. And so will you just declare the goodness of the Father? Will you declare how amazing Christ is? Will you pray to Him? Will you seek Him as we sing in worship? Will you ask Him for forgiveness? Will you thank Him for His, your, uh, his perfect sacrifice? And so live, live in faith. Live just justified, live redeemed, live as a new creation, live as one set free, live with confidence in His grace, live being washed white as snow, live in His grace and His mercy, live as people of faith in His blood. Lord Jesus, as we begin to worship, for those who have not made a decision to follow You yet, I pray that today will be the day that they will trust in the perfect blood of Jesus Christ and that they will know that their sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. And if they come to you with a repentant heart to turn away from their old way of living and to make you Lord and Savior of their lives, you bring them eternal blessing. You bring them eternity and eternal inheritance. And you call them your own, that we are your sons and daughters. And for every heart here, Lord, I pray that we would not be indifferent to your gospel. I pray that apathy will leave this place, Lord. And that we will be people that burn with the fire of the gospel inside of our hearts. That wherever we go, we cannot help but declare the good news of Jesus Christ and the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ because it purchased us and it redeemed us and it called us sons and daughters. And so we sing from that place. We respond with thankful hearts, hearts of gratitude to what you have done, Jesus Christ.